I'm your host, Savannah Beck, and this is Slow Burn, a book podcast for slow readers. This is part one of a two-part episode, so buckle up. Today, I'm speaking with Kiara Martinez of Solid State Books. Kiara organizes the Bad Books Club and the Middle Grade Book Club, so she'll be sharing some of the knowledge she's garnered in the process. First up, we'll be talking about bad books, guilty pleasures, hate reads. I have a soft spot for trashy TV, and I also love a low-quality but entertaining book. So needless to say, I'm psyched for the episode. Here's Kiara. Thanks so much again for joining us. So if you don't mind, could you start introducing yourself? Yeah, of course. My name's Kiara. I'm a pronouncer she, her. I'm a bookseller at Solid State Books on H Street. I've been a bookseller for two years now, I think. About two years. I, at the store, host a number of different clubs. So I do Bad Books Book Club, Middle Grade Book Club, which we're sort of tweaking a little bit right now. I am planning on being a part of YA Book Club, but that's hosted by two of my co-workers. And then I also do an open mic night called Understated by Monthly. Ooh, that's fun. Yeah. What is the open mic night like? So it's artists of all kinds. Our first one was really poetry centered, but the second one that we had, we had a good mix. We had stand-up, poetry, of course, some music. But it's sort of just a place for us to, I guess, showcase our art. I'm a writer myself, and I feel like it's really hard to let people in in that way. And so Mel and I wanted to allow people a space to do that. That's awesome. What kind of writing do you do? A little bit of everything. (laughs) So I like to pick the medium based on whatever the piece is. So right now, I'm in a lyrical essay sort of mode. I'm sort of adapting an idea that I initially intended to be a play, but I'm not really sure where that's going right now. I write everything, poetry, essays, fiction, sort of dabbling in creative nonfiction. Cool. I have a very soft spot for creative nonfiction because I think it's really underrated. I definitely agree. I also really like talking to booksellers that are also writers because I think it's really interesting. They have a nice perspective. So you work at Solid State Books as a bookseller and you said you've been there for about two years. Well, I haven't been at Solid State for two years. I've been a bookseller for two years. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fill me in. So I started at Barnes & Noble and I came to Solid State in July of last year. Cool. So what brought you to Solid State from Barnes & Noble? Coincidence, honestly. (laughs) I was moving out of Alexandria and sort of trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And I sort of happened upon Solid State and crazy turn of events where a classmate of mine worked there and sort of recommended me when I applied and I didn't know until after. (laughs) And it sort of worked out really Well, I've been enjoying it a lot here. It was destiny. Yes, I think so. So what's your relationship with reading? Like, have you always been a big reader? Yes and no. So I've always been a writer. I think my first book was when I was like seven. as like a part of a class project thing. And then it sort of spiraled from there. And that, of course, came from being an avid reader as a kid. But I think like a lot of us, school sort of got us down. And by the time we hit like high school, you know, we were doing a lot of academic reading and couldn't really find the joy in reading. And so I would say maybe a year or two into college, I took 
a course actually on creative writing. I started in creative writing nonfiction and then creative writing fiction. And that sort of reintroduced me to my love of reading. And since then, I've been obsessed, of course, obsessed again. (laughs) Yeah, I've had a similar experience. I used to read a lot when I was younger and then like, you know, school and extracurriculars and work and everything kind of distracted me. And so the last couple of years I've been diving back in and it's been fun. It is really fun. Yeah. Can I ask what, was there a particular book that sparked that for you? Because I have one. Turning the tables on me. I'm being interviewed now. That's a great question. I don't think so. I do have a handful of books that have really stood out to me over the last few years when I wasn't reading as much where like, I used to have that experience a lot of, especially when I was younger, I would like read a new book and I would be so excited about it. And then I didn't have that for a long time. So one of the ones more recently that I was just so excited to read was Trick Mirror by Gia Tolentino, which is like a collection of personal essays from her. And it's just so well written. What about you? Yeah. So mine is I'm Telling the Truth, But I'm Lying by Bossy Ickby. It's a memoir in essays. And then it's about her experience with bipolar 2 disorder. It's a heavy book, but I think that for readers that are trying to get back into reading, because each one is so different from the other and they vary in length and you don't necessarily have to read them in order. I think it's a really good one to get back into it. Totally. I think essays are really good for that. Yeah. And memoirs can be, when they're done well, they can really hit an emotional chord in you that I think it's harder to find in other books. So... Yeah. I'll have to read that one. One of my favorite genres is memoirs. It's amazing. Would you call yourself a slow reader? It's okay if you're not, but I always like to ask. Yeah. I sort of go in and out of being a slow reader and being someone who flies through three books in one week. Damn. (laughs) I think when you get a really good book followed by another really good book, it's really easy to get into that. But even some books are the ones that you have to take some time with step away from the book I'm reading now my heart is a chainsaw I'm going through it slower than I have been the books I've been reading recently but it's been really good yeah totally a lot of times it does happen that if it's taking me forever to get through a book I'm maybe not as into it but I also have a book that I've been reading for like months that I'm enjoying a lot it's just I set it down for a little bit and don't come back and it's gonna take me like a year to finish it but I am enjoying the time and that's fine You mentioned that you organize a couple of different book clubs and events at Solid State Books, and one of them is the Bad Books Club, which we're going to be talking about in this episode. Where did the idea come from? So I co-host Bad Books Book Club with Nisa. She's the marketing and brand coordinator at Solid State. And it just happened. I think a customer mentioned something about bad books or I think we're talking about Twilight the movie that's the first book that comes to mind for some reason for me when I heard of it but it was terrible (laughs) yeah I watched this YouTube channel where there's a girl it's uh, Kenny JB she's like a makeup artist but she has a series where she talks about bad movies while putting her makeup on and there's something that's so satisfying about bad movies and so I think it was something along those lines of just like bad movies can be good too. It doesn't necessarily have to be like this cinematic masterpiece for you to find enjoyment in it. And we were just discussing, what if we had a space to do that with like books? There should be like a club where we talk about books that are so bad that they're good. And then we were like, well, 
we work at a bookstore. We have book clubs here. Why not do it? <laughs> and so it sort of blossomed from that. So it's books that are so bad uh, that they're good, books that you hate finished, books that you didn't finish. And then for me, a lot of the times it's the part of the book that was bad, but it could still be a good book. You know? Yeah, I love the idea. I think it's genius. Like you said, there's definitely a lot of space to talk about bad movies and bad TV. People are always talking about like their guilty pleasures and how they love like trash reality TV, but you don't really get that with books. And I was like, I read a ton of books that I have a lot of problems with, but like, did I enjoy them? Yes, I did. What do your meetings look like? What's the format? We like to keep it pretty casual. We meet for two hours, which it was an hour originally, but we found that people have so much to say. (laughs) And so we extended it and we meet bi-monthly now, every other month, not twice a month. There's no assigned reading, of course. We just come with what you want to talk about. Or you can come and not have anything to talk about because there's definitely someone who has something to talk about. (laughs) We like to, at least recently, start with sort of disclaimers about, you know, if there's If a book is bad because of content, like if there are triggers in it, then to sort of preface it before digging into the book or not going into as much detail about some of those things. It's also just a place to agree to disagree because there have definitely been books that are brought up and people are like, what do you mean you didn't like it? I love this book and vice versa, of course. What is a bad book to you? And I'm sure that's a hard question to answer, but as best as you can define it. I think there are many things that I would classify as a bad book. Of course, you can think the entire book is bad from the way it was written to the content in it. And it's a book that you don't think anyone should read. But a lot of the times I find that a bad book to me is there's this one piece in it where I wish it were different. (laughs) And Otherwise, it was beautifully written. And I think you should read it, but just know that this thing is going to happen. And I know, I want you to know that I know that this part is bad, (laughs) but ignore it. Enjoy the read. Yeah, I have to add a caveat whenever I tell you that I like the book, because I don't want you to judge me and think that I liked that really bad part of it. I really... So you mentioned Twilight as like some inspiration. Are there... Any titles that are repeat offenders or types of books, maybe genres that come up a lot in the meetings? You know, the interesting thing is that we have a lot of people who read the same types of books, but I found it so interesting how different the books people bring up are and what parts of them that they don't like. I think that a lot of us have sort of oh I feel so weird about naming books this is so oh my gosh we have to put in like a disclaimer these are not the opinions of the podcast no I'm just kidding you're fine you can say anything I think many of us have sort of the same thoughts around like a Colleen Hoover I think oh I've noticed that a lot of the books that were brought up at the last meeting like I mentioned at the beginning I worked at Barnes and Noble and While I was there, we sort of transitioned our marketing strategy from focusing on getting memberships to selling the picks of the month. And at the last meeting, a bunch of people were bringing up books that were like Barnes and Noble picks. And I know that my coworkers there and I had so many feelings about the books that were chosen. (laughs) It's sort of interesting to see that I guess in a way it did work that people did pick those books up, but ultimately came 
to find that they didn't really enjoy them or didn't like a piece of them. I know one of them was Portrait of a Thief. I remember it being a pick shortly before I left and someone brought it up at the last meeting. And they said that the story itself was good and that it's being turned into a TV show or a movie or something and that it would work really well in that medium, but they found that it was like really repetitive. So a lot of the times it is just the piece of the book that you wish was a little bit different. All right, let's move on to the meat of the episode, your recommendations. The first one I have on the list is Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston. Could you tell us a little bit about the book, what it's about? It's a romance novel about the son of the U.S. president and the grandson of the Queen of England getting together. It was like a rivals to lovers situation. That's pretty much the book. So what makes it bad? I knew this getting into the book. It was a book that was recommended to me by someone I worked with. It was a book that they loved and they recommended to everyone. And so I was told to give it a try. And going into it, I was sort of skeptical. It felt almost propaganda-y. And it was trying to be progressive, I guess, in a way. And it sort of confirmed that suspicion for me, like in the first couple of pages. I think the main character, I want to say his name is Alex, but the U.S. president's son, he mentioned something about the royal family and its imperialism and that being a reason why he doesn't like the prince. And he gets called out on that by one of the characters. Like, you know, the U.S., (laughs) now that you mention it. And so it was sort of hard for me to sort of get over some of those political bits in it. And that's sort of the thing with a lot of the books on this list. It's like you have to suspend your own beliefs or reality in order to really enjoy them. That bit, and I... Also saw someone mention recently that a lot of the characters of color in the book were sort of servants to this relationship uh, the two main characters were having. That said, of course, the main character, he is biracial. His dad is some variation of Hispanic. But even in that, he's sort of removed from that. So it's sort of like we're getting this representation, but not entirely. So would you say that the more like progressive elements were just kind of heavy handed and it was like overdone and that's what bumped you? I can say that some bits of it were heavy handed and some were just sort of like, oh, just don't look at this. (laughs) We're going to drop this little tidbit in here and don't pay attention to it. We just sort of want to like a throwaway. Yeah. And the entire book is sort of undercut by the next election. His mom is running for re-election. And I would say that it sort of isn't that interesting. <laughs> you sort of know how it's going to go. And it's to push along the conflict in their relationship. But especially towards the end of the book, I think that I didn't really need to know about the election. It was like, ah, they're together. Why do I care? <laughs> Yeah, I can understand that. I haven't actually read any books by Casey McQuiston, but I do have one laying around in my apartment on my to read list. And so that's interesting. It's also definitely like a very common criticism with romance, especially, but I mean, I think 
probably all genres, the representation and diversity. A lot of times it's like there's nothing or it is really forced and doesn't make sense or work. So that's not surprising. Disappointing, but not surprising. So why should we read it anyway, though? What's good about it? It's romance. (laughs) That's all I can say. I know a lot of people have their feelings about romance, but I think that it's as common of a trope as it is because it's so good to read and you want to be hopeful about something. And so it's really cute. There are really cute moments. And even though there are certain issues that I could take even within those cute moments, you sort of just have to get past them because they're adorable. (laughs) If you want to be happy and you want to (laughs) see this couple make it, the romance itself in the book is one of my favorites. Nice. I was very curious when I saw that you had a couple of romance books on the list, what your take on romance is, because I recently got into romance and I definitely agree. There are a lot of poorly written and bad romance books out there, but there are also like some that are really good. And I think people just write off because they don't take the genre seriously So sometimes I like get on my soapbox about it. And I was curious if a lot of people pick romance books as guilty pleasure reads just mostly because they're romance and there's not really that much wrong with the book, but they're like, ah, but it's so embarrassing that I liked a romance book. You should never be embarrassed about (laughs) your reads. Even the ones that made this list for me are books that at the end of the day, I have the soft spot for and... It's one of those things where I know that bad part happened, but please just trust me. I know it's there, but it's really good. (laughs) Push through. All right. The next book on the list is The Final Girl Support Group by Grady Hendrix. And I have read this one myself, so I'm excited to hear your take. What's it about and why is it a bad book? Final Girl Support Group is essentially about a group of women who survived multiple homicides, the real life multiple homicides that inspire their favorite horror films. And one character in the book is incredibly paranoid and she thinks that someone is out to get us again, but no one believes her. And so they're sort of going on this journey. Of course, she is right in that and trying to figure out who it is that's after the final girls. And what did you take issue with or not like? I think that the Final Girls Support Group is an amazingly done horror novel, just all in all. I think that Grady Hendrix has this sort of knack for doing the gimmicky thing, leaning into it and doing it well, even in the more like gruesome parts, which I don't mind at all there can still be some humor found underneath. But I think the main thing, the first thing that once I finished the book, I got through it, bothered me was it felt weirdly girl bossy in a way that I think only a man who's writing female characters could do. (laughs) And it was like, oh, okay, I see. I see why this happened. But I ultimately decided that it wasn't something that I guess took away from the book. And I, after reflecting on it, really enjoyed the ending. And I think that, I don't think there's another direction it could have gone in that would have been any more satisfying. And then my next and biggest gripe is that the only explicitly defined person of color in the book is a Black woman who 
we never meet as a character because she dies before the book starts. She doesn't even make it into the narrative. And she's this amazing person. She's like helping everyone. She's getting everyone together. She's the reason why we have the support group. And we never see her. Yeah, that's a very valid point. It's interesting you bring up the male writing female characters thing because I've actually read like several of Rudy Hendrix's books. I also read My Best Friend's Exorcism and the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. And he, in both of those books or all of these books, the main characters are all female and it's mostly from a female perspective, which I think is really unusual for a male writer. And overall, I think he does a pretty good job, but there are moments where like he falls short. And also like the name is kind of androgynous so I just assumed it was a female writer at first. I did too and I think that it wasn't until I realized that all of his books are dedicated to his wife that he was also a straight male writing these. Yeah um, they're really funny actually. Um, <laughs> he's a funny guy. Uh, yes. <laughs> I liked this book overall. I definitely, your criticisms, I think are valid. I'm not someone who's opposed to like violence, but I think especially since it's this support group and it's kind of also them working through their trauma, even though it's fictional, there were moments where I was like, it makes it feel a little like grosser that I'm like spectating and like enjoying them being hunted when like I also know that they have all this PTSD and stuff they're working through but overall I still enjoyed it. If anything <laughs> someone actually brought this up at our last meeting and I was sort of like hiding my face because I do have a recommendation for this book in the store and so I was like wait okay guys listen 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 I know and I agree so if you walk around the store and see my card just ignore it just ignore it. <laughs> I think that they had a different point in that. I think they brought up the lesbian character in the book and how she was sort of harsh and how a lot of the women in the book were sort of generally unlikable. I personally didn't mind it only because I know that I can understand why that they would be that way given the trauma that they face. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I guess that's true. I feel like that's also true with the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. I don't know if you've read that one, but basically it's a bunch of housewives who start a book club and then there's also a vampire in town and one of them has to kind of convince the others that it's really happening. And But it deals with a lot of really interesting gender roles because forget exactly when it takes place, but it's a very traditional Southern housewife vibe. So again, a very like interesting topic for a male writer, a straight male writer to take on. And I also felt like the main characters were all kind of unlikable because a lot of them fell into like complacent stereotypes, seeing that their husbands don't respect them, but just not engaging with it. And in this book, yeah, a lot of the people you can see have kind of become unlikable because of their trauma. So I can see why to someone who doesn't think critically about the character development, why that might be bad. But to me, it just made more realistic characters. And so I actually really like unlikable characters. I think it makes books more interesting. I agree. Next up is Instructions for Dancing by Nicola Yoon. What is this book about? 
This book is about a teenage girl. It's YA romance. A teenage girl who once had an obsession with romance books has now lost all her faith in love and life because she witnessed her father cheating on her mother. And so she decides to get rid of all of her romance novels that she's ever owned. And in doing this, she happens upon this sort of mystical old lady who says some cryptic things, and then she winds up having this ability to see people's entire romantic relationships from beginning to end when she sees them kiss. And it doesn't happen every single time they kiss. It's only the first. And that sort of confirms for her this dark outlook because ultimately they all do end. But in the book, of course, she meets young boy who she's sort of forced into this relationship with because she's taking these dance classes and they want to save the dance studio. And so we sort of go on that journey with them. And it sounds like a beautiful concept, doesn't it? Uh, and then it goes terribly wrong. <laughs> I love the concept. It sounds very fun, but I always worry a little with romance in particular, but also other genres when they introduce a supernatural element, because I'm like, are they going to pull it off? So what went wrong? This is going to include a lot of spoilers. Is that okay? Well, we're acknowledging it. So spoiler alert, skip ahead if you don't want to know. Go ahead. All right. So like I said, we meet this guy and they have like a rough start, but they ultimately do fall in love with each other. And it's a beautiful story. The two of them sort of bond over lots of things, but they bring up her history with the infidelity with her parents and then their divorce. And her father is now, of course, remarrying to the woman that she saw him cheating with. And then on the guy's side, I think his name's X, actually, which is so funny. Mysterious. He had a friend, a best friend who he was in a band with who tragically died in like a car accident. And so they both are sort of struggling with this whole idea of love, but they find each other and they are able to bond over that, right? Well, it's dance competition time, energy's high, and they share a kiss. I don't like how active the dance competition seems to be in the narrative. It's fun. Okay. <laughs> So they have this dance competition and of course they win, but at the climax, right, they kiss and it wasn't the first time they kissed, but I guess the first time they both realized their love for each other maybe is why this happened. But she now can see their relationship start to end. And, you know, it starts with the meeting at the dance studio and the little quirky scene that happened there. And then we have them in this sort of like montage of going on dates together and they're at the competition and they're happy and in love. And the last scene is our main character in her college dorm, dark, and she's crying. She's how old now? She's, I think, 17, going on 18 now. And so this is freshman year of college that we see. And that's tomorrow. What are you talking about? And she's crying. And she's crying over his obituary. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, what do you mean? Everything stop right now. <laughs> and so we find out that he has, like, some heart thing. And... Yeah, that's what results in him dying. 
And she knows this. And instead of saying, hey, ex, you should go to a doctor. <laughs> hey, we we can fix this somehow or at least trying, doing something. She first decides that she's going to cease all contact with him. <sighs> yeah, she's going to stop talking to him altogether, not tell him why. And then she has this revelation that you can still love after heartbreak or something. And she's like at her dad's wedding and she runs away and goes to his house. And she's like, I want to be with you. And so she decides that she's going to be with him for the next six or so months until he dies but it's okay because at least she was able to love him and i hated it i was actually like doing a buddy read with one of my friends while reading this and we sort of like traded off who was ahead and then i of course got to that part and i texted her and i said do not finish this book and she said Okay, I don't even need to know what happened. You got it. I won't finish it. What a trusting friend. Like, I need to know. I need to know what happened. Right? And I think outside of what I just told you, I think the thing that bothered me most was that it sort of made him feel like he wasn't a real character. And like everything that happened before was just this thing to teach her a lesson. And it really sucks. And then also, of course, these kids, they have had this tough time in life. And now you're just like, he lost his best friend in this tragic way. And like a year and a half later, he himself is going to die too. Sure, it's life. It's realistic, despite the fact that there's this mystical element to it. But I didn't like it at all. And I think this is probably the only book on this list where I'm like, listen, don't read it. <laughs> it's not worth it. So did you finish it? I did finish the book. Okay. I did. I had to. <laughs> That's really interesting because there are a lot of different directions the author could have taken. And at first when you said that she was crying, I was like, oh, you know, he cheated on her or something. And this is such an interesting choice because it makes her so unlikable because she's leaving this person who is going to die and also not telling him like does he not know that he has a condition we don't know what it is that kills him at first when she's like crying over the obituary and it wasn't the first time that we knew that death was sort of blooming in the book it's actually foreshadowed in her seeing his grandparents kiss and their last moment is at I believe his funeral, but she doesn't know it then that that's whose funeral they're at. But she sort of just decides that she's not going to talk to him anymore. And then the very last chapter is like, yeah, we are in love. We're going to be in love for now. And in this many months, he's going to collapse due to some heart thing. And then they're going to go to the doctor and they're going to tell him that this happened or something. And it's like, of course, this could be something that's not preventable. But I feel like you should at least try. <laughs> but she decided that she was just like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'll be in love for now. <laughs> and the cover is so pretty. And you're like, wow, it's going to be great. It's going to be like every other YA romance I've read, but it's not, it's not at all. <laughs> what a heavy twist for a young adult romance. Yes. 
Definitely. At the time of reading this, I was in like a romance sort of kick. And I think I had read maybe one or two before that I had like fallen in love with. And so I was expecting this to be another one. It was not. (laughs) The cover looks fun and light. So I imagine like probably catches you a little off guard. All right. So the next book and the last recommendation for this episode is If an Egyptian Cannot Speak by Noor Naga. Yes. So what is this book about? This book is about 20 something woman who goes back to Egypt and back is in quotation marks because it's where her parents are from, but she had never been before. And she meets this guy and it's about I guess the course of their relationship I read the description before this I haven't read the book though and first of all we've got a third romance on the list so great romance representation for better or for worse you know it's actually not a romance ah okay or at least there is a romantic element to it but it's defined as general fiction. I think on the back of it, surprisingly, I have it right here with me. I think it says like dark romance, but we'll talk about that. (laughs) Yeah. So regardless of where it falls genre wise, it definitely alludes to a lot more complex and heavy topics than most traditional romances. So I guess there's an abusive relationship at the center. And I was wondering, does it fall short in terms of how it deals with the more serious topics? Or is it just something completely separate from that that makes it a bad book? Something completely separate from that. I think that I think there are a lot of conflicting opinions about this book. um, Because surprisingly, I'm not a Goodreads person, but the first thing that I did when I put this book down was I picked up my phone and went to Goodreads to see what everyone else was saying. I am not a huge review reader on Goodreads either, but if I read something that I am feeling strongly about, I will do that sometimes. Yeah, this book, I honestly don't think that I would personally define it as a bad book. I think that it's probably... I'd have to sit on it a little bit more, but I think it's a contender to be one of my favorite books. Wow. Yeah. But I understand all of the complaints with it from the beginning to the end. And I think that it's an important note, which is why I included it on this list. I wanted people to know that, hey, (laughs) you're going to have strong feelings about it. Off the bat, it's written very strangely. The stylistic choices that Naga makes are confusing, (laughs) to put it lightly, but I'm a lover of things like that. So when I saw that the first, it's split into three parts, that the first part is written almost interview style, or, or so you think, where there's these, there are questions at the beginning of each sort of chapter that are almost riddles. And... I guess you could call them the chapter titles. Another thing is that the text in the book is all in one paragraph. There aren't any indents. That would drive me crazy. Yeah, I know. And again, why I put it on the list. (laughs) There 
aren't, or at least there are rarely ever, and maybe I missed it, any quotation marks to designate speech. It's all italicized. It switches between perspective of the two main characters and it's not until I would say the third one where you're like oh okay yeah I get it now (laughs) and yeah and that's just the first part and honestly that's just the first page (laughs) and then the second part goes into this almost essay like format where there are footnotes and the third part is like a stage play and you're like okay I have no idea what's going on (laughs) But aside from these stylistic choices, the content, it's really heavy. And as you get through the book, sort of start to understand more why it is that it was written this way. And I'm trying so hard because this is actually one that I don't want to spoil (laughs) for anyone who does want to read it. But of course, like you said, at the core of this book is an abusive relationship, but we're sort of getting a both sides sort of deal but I think it's the book itself is very aware of that, even if the character isn't. And I think that it's different from some other mainstream, quote unquote, dark romances that talk about abusive relationships where the author doesn't intend for you to walk away thinking that this was a good relationship. And you're not supposed to feel sympathy for the abusive party, even if the victim does and so i again have a recommendation i think i have recommendations for all the books on this list in this story but in this one in particular i do have the triggers written on the other side of the card and those would be of course domestic abuse sexual abuse victim blaming yeah it's a heavy book but naga is an incredible writer incredibly lyrical poetic and It'll sit with you for some time. So most of the criticisms are about the style. I would say half of the criticism is about the style from what I've seen, because it is very confusing and very, or maybe not confusing, but nothing that we're used to. And so it can be hard to sort of get over at first. Once you do get over that, I think that there is some value to take from it. Even at the beginning of the relationship, before I discovered (laughs) the rest, it was written very romantically. Interesting. My curiosity is is peaked, so thanks for not spoiling. All right. So we're at the end of the recommendations. Is there anything you'd like to add? I don't judge anyone for having liked any of these books that are on this list. I myself like most of the books on this list and don't feel shame for reading things, certain things. Well, do I believe that? (laughs) I do remember there was something I was going to say, nonfiction readers, and I'm a huge fan of nonfiction. I mentioned this at the start, but I do think that sometimes people sort of lean to that as a way to seem more intelligent. I totally agree. I have this experience very often when especially if this happens a lot on dates but also in like conversation where I'll be talking to a especially in DC a straight white man who is like oh I read a lot too and I'm like oh what do you read and they're always like you know nonfiction, and it's such a flex to be like you know I'm smart and ambitious I don't have time for stories and it pisses me off sorry for my rant (laughs) yes 
I agree. And I've definitely gotten on my soapbox about this exact topic before. (laughs) But like I said, there really is no shame in reading as long as you're reading for enjoyment, you know? So keep reading your bad books and come to Bad Books Book Club. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's also very nice. And this is maybe a good exercise for people. It applies to books for sure, but also like any kind of tastes or art. People are always going, there are always going to be people that don't agree with your tastes. And I think there's something empowering and good about learning to be at peace with sometimes people don't like things that you like, and you can still just say, I like it, even if everyone else thinks it's bad. And we should do more of that. I agree. Do you have anything else that you'd like to plug? Like, do you have a bookstagram or anything like that? I do have a page where I post my writing and other art. That's kiartiste, K-I-A-R dot T-I-S-T-E on Instagram. I've been thinking about posting more in there as far as like books I'm reading, just so I can keep track of it myself. And I know some people have been interested because I talk a lot about it on my main Instagram. Other things, the workers at Solid State are unionizing. We have an Instagram for that, which is pretty solid union. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. I'm Savannah Beck, and that's all for this episode of Slow Burn, Books for Slow Readers. Special thank you to Kiara Martinez for chatting with me today and Zeit for letting us use his song, Daisy EDM Instrumental. Keep reading and see you next time.